let's talk about it. Welcome back to Thick Radio, the podcast where we talk about gaining, fetism, and everything in its orbit. I'm James. And I'm Tim, so let's get into it. This week we're welcoming back to the show. Today we've got Josh. Hello, hello. How you doing, Josh? You alright? Doing great. Good, good. Ah, oh, it is such a pleasure to have you back. We've been desperate to get you back. And in fact, we talked about this some time ago. There's this little film, it's relatively, you know niche underground a bit of an unknown in the community and it's got a bit of an insignificant anniversary coming up and we thought hey you said you'd seen it once or twice you were you know five out of ten on the film shall we say and we thought you'd be the perfect person to bring on to to have a chat with us so are you ready to talk about the 50th anniversary of motherfucking charlotte's web let's do this okay Uh, also 50th anniversary that's (laughs) That's horrifying. It came out in the 70s. Surely, surely <laughs> that's not 50 years ago. It's it's a millennial thing, apparently, because, Josh, I think you and I are around the same age, like early 30s, yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 36. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's early. early. It's, it's early. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But I would definitely say that, like, it's a millennial problem where, like, when you say, oh, the 1980s, Something in my brain says, oh, yeah, 20 years ago. Of course. Yeah. Though it was 40 years ago. And I'm like, what? Thanks for reminding me. Something in my (laughs) brain does not. And I don't know if that's a millennial problem. Like the millennium happened. And then like my ability to like, I don't know. It's like everything hinges on the millennium. Everything like goes back from there like X amount of years. So the 60s were 40 years ago. And we're only 20 years into the new millennium and everything is still X amount of years. It, nothing makes sense and everything's done. No, it's like, it's like time reset. I feel like, you know, how we have like BCE and CE. We need like a pre-millennium and post-millennium like dating system because my brain just can't <laughs> comprehend everything after like, like time stopped at the year 2000. And that's when my concept of time just froze. Well, and you're only a couple of years younger than me, so you probably remember all of the insanity, the the, san- the insanity, sorry, that went on during Y2K. Oh, yeah. When it everyone thought insane. the world was going to end. Like, yeah, they like, thought that computers, computers aren't going to be able to handle, handle it. it. Yeah. Co- airplanes are going to fall out of the sky. Uh, uh, Electricity is going to stop working. Stock up your bathtub with water. You know, like oh, that yeah. kind of shit. Oh, yeah. It was going to be like full on like Armageddon dystopian apocalypse it was just it was insane and then nothing happened and then nothing happened well you know as much as i wasn't you know old enough to remember experiencing it i was only eight when the millennium occurred uh i'm glad to know that humans have never changed we're threatened with doomsday and then everyone starts oh yeah but at the very least in the case of covid like people actually got to outwork some of that anxiety you know so oh yeah we just keep having real doomsdays now which um, I kind of want to go back to the fake ones that don't happen. Yeah. If your doomsday doesn't come from the champagne region, then it's just um, sparkling bad times. (laughs) Sparkling bad times. Yes. Well, do either of you remember, it was like, I want to say maybe definitely less than 10 years ago that one, there was a preacher here in the U S who 
predicted that the end of t- that the end of days was coming and he like pinpointed this specific date quote unquote and then yeah. um, all these all of the members of his congregation were like cashing in their iras and like selling their houses and shit like that and like giving him the money and like okay yeah, you know there's insane. so much to be said about a snake oil salesman but and then like you have to wonder about the customer base too like why would you ever think that money would be the thing you would need in the apocalypse yeah people are strange very very strange a strange corner of my family who's far away now and i never talk to them are all into that like end times like apocalypse rapture stuff and uh it's uh it's fun well they can enjoy that far away from me they absolutely can but you know what i really hope they do for their own sanity i really hope they've got a vhs player down there and a vhs tape copy of the 1973 version of charlotte's web and i had to yeah the, the the topic we're actually here to talk about yeah, the topic we're here to talk about, which is Charlotte's Web. And, you know, I, I think it's fun to talk about these because it's interesting how many, like, quote-unquote iconic movies there are in the community because we all watched this shit when we were kids and we saw something and then went, um, this, this makes me feel funny in a good way. And I think I just really want to, you know, run repeat over this specific 10 seconds of video and just have that on a loop for a couple of um, hours, hours, and just, you know, just really watch intently about what's happening on screen. So, you know, I think what a, what a wonderful film to talk about. But listen, kicking things off, because we've all, of course, seen the film. And dear listener, if you have not seen it yet, this is your obvious cue to pause this, go and watch it, and then come back to us. Okay, great. So now we've all seen the film. Josh, what was your overall impression of the film? Well, okay, so I was watching it at a friend's house the first time. Um, I was visiting someone, their parents put it on to keep us entertained kind of thing. I don't know how old I was. I was eight or 10, whatever. Um, And for the most part, I was like, this is kind of a grim, sad movie, but I was I was aware of the book and everything so i kind of knew about that but then you get to the the fair scene and it was like i couldn't look away it was like there was something in my brain that was like something here is important to your very existence but we're not going to tell you what the answer is and i was just completely spellbound but i had no idea why it took me years before i made any kind of connection Mm. but yeah I feel time. like that's a pretty common narrative with us because um, <clears throat> we had a whole episode devoted to cartoons that happened in the 80s and 90s that like led to different inspirations and in kink. And I certainly mm-hmm. remember my references with this movie. I wouldn't say that Templeton and the fair scene was necessarily erotic or or interesting when I was a kid. Like I, I took notice of it, but I think because he was a rat and I generally find rats kind of disgusting. Um I just, I was, it certainly didn't leave the kind of impression on me that it's left on other people in the community. I can see that. I, I think a part of it is um, there's so many, in, in, so, in, in so many cartoons, there's, if there's a weight gain scene or something, it's always played for like humiliation or like, it's like they're embarrassed because it happens. But in this one, it was the fact that he, enjoyed it and was proud of it Mm. and wasn't embarrassed by it 
that I think that's kind of one of the things that really spoke to me. Because, like, there's some cartoons out there where, you know, someone gets, like, strapped into a table and, like, fed tons of donuts against their will kind of thing. And mm. that, you know, is really important to a lot of other people. But that kind of stuff never really connected with me. But with this one, it was like he wanted this and he enjoyed it and he didn't care what people thought. Yeah. And um, that's the thing I think that I really liked about it. So Templeton's kind of like a, um, well, I mean, inspiration, obviously, but what, what word was I going to go with? Like a gainer, because um, he, he goes to the fair and he manifests his gainer dreams, obviously. Exactly. So I'm, I don't know what word to uh, attach to that, but you like know what I'm trying avatar, to say. Almost. Almost, yeah. Almost like an Yeah, avatar. yeah. Like, it isn't like an accidental thing. He doesn't, like, accidentally eat a potion that makes him huge. He specifically says, I want to go to the fair because there's going to be amazing food. And he enjoys himself and gets huge. And he's just completely happy. And in the scene afterwards, where he kind of staggers back afterwards, it's played as if he's coming back from a bender, like he's acting drunk. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's this kind of idea that, like, this is something that, like, was so amazing that he just like is going to take some time to recover because he had so much fun mm -hmm. you know it's interesting that you mentioned that and i think it's worth pointing out here that sometimes in the gainer community it feels like we operate under this assumption of monolithicness this idea mm -hmm. that we're all somehow into the same thing we all want to be called piggy we're all into white x jocks and we're all into people being force fed against their will but that's not the case you know everything's got its place and mm -hmm. templeton is no different you know templeton really represents the joy in gaining and that's something that when you think about the quote-unquote icons and reference points very few of them come from a place of like fat positivity mm -hmm. yeah most of them come from fat neutrality like they're fat and maybe they have some stereotypes but for the most part they just exist some of them come from fat negativity and that's a bit you know where a lot of that shame king comes from but i do think fat positivity represents the smallest portion of icons and characters that we refer to but the joy makes up 100 percent of what we do like oh, yeah for sure even if you get off on humiliation, even if you get off on the whole, like, oh, I never wanted to get fat and now I'm fat. Oh, no. How do, oh, no, I'm cramming food in my mouth. I just can't stop myself. Like, yeah, the humiliation, but what you're actually experiencing is joy. Like, that's the clue, right? Like, you and Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with, like, like, the fantasies that kind of surround that and everyone kind of approaches things differently. Um, and that's, that's totally cool. I don't want to kink shame anyone uh, who's into anything different, but yeah, you're right. I love that. Like the, the, the positivity. Cause you don't see that very much. Yeah. And I think that was really kind of my overall impression because I never really watched it when I was a kid. I think I've seen like snippets and scenes, especially on Tumblr back in the day. But when in preparation for this, I sat down and I watched the film, I was quite taken aback by just how like horny templeton represents like he oh yeah it's like i want food and i want it now and i'm gonna not only guzzle it down and stuff it down i'm gonna be like and like noises and it's the it's so visceral what yeah. experiencing like some characters get fat and i'm like oh that's hot i want that for me but then you see templeton like waddling back like uh 
what do we call it, Tim? Glut over. Oh yeah, glut over. <laughs> when when you're so like like overstuffed that you feel drunk and stupid, like that's glut mm -hmm. over or glutted over. He was so glutted over. It felt like the scene in when Harry met Sally. I'm the woman saying, "I'll have what she's having," because <laughs> yes. that's obesity. I want it now. Yes, it was fabulous. So it really was. You talked a little bit about like you saw it for the first time with your friend, and it made you feel a certain type of way. I want to ask, what was the kind of aftermath? Of that did you find yourself revisiting that scene did you find yourself trying to recreate it at home what was the kind of outworking having seen it oh, the first time that's that's always fun um well yeah i well that's when i started um padding um i would like stuff pillows under my shirt and uh, pretend like I'd, I'd eaten too much and um I would I would like drink a lot of like juice or water or something and then make it slosh around in my stomach and you know kind of try to kind of recreate that 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 sensation of like being so good and full and everything and it was it was sort of this attempt to to find I don't know cuz it, it it obviously wasn't sexual at that point I was way too young for that but it was just it was like there was something satisfying about that. And I was like, I don't understand why I like this. So I want to figure out what it is. And that kind of encouraged me to start trying out stuff that years and years later um, eventually did become sexual and, and kind of like, cause of like, you know, padding and bloating and, and um, all the belly noises stuff and like all that kind of came from that, that scene. Wouldn't it be fascinating if we could study that reaction in real time? Like, I don't know if there was some way that you could hook someone up to some kind of system and then, you know, <laughs> possibly expose them to something. I mean, and it, like, I'm not saying to, you know, show porn to people or, you know, God no, forbid, no. show porn to minors or anything, but like, no, no. if you could, if there was a way that you could have like, but that could have been measured in your brain when it was happening, like, I'd be so fascinated yeah. to see exactly which part of the brain suddenly lights up and like how that takes root because all these fetishes come from somewhere. They don't they just do. develop in a vacuum. So yeah. I, I just, I would love to know the origin of how it, it just sticks in your, I guess, lizard brain that like, oh, yeah. this is something that I will revisit again and again. Oh, absolutely. I, I had no idea why I was putting pillows in my shirt. It was just, oh, this is just a thing to do now because in my brain I was like, oh, well, I have to do this, but I can't comprehend why I'm doing it. And then, you know, years later, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm doing this because it turns me on. Gotcha. I don't, I could get that. I don't know where it comes from, but there is a part of me that thinks to myself, you know, since so many of us can reflect on things we did when we were kids, the stuffing, the padding, the bloating, the, the comics, the cartoons, the whoop-de-woo, I feel like it's so prolific and such a repeated meme in our community that I wondered to myself, like, if gaining as a sexuality is innate, much like homosexuality, heterosexuality, any kind of sexuality, because it doesn't spark until you receive the spark. For most of us, it's puberty when we start to see it manifest. Like, yeah. I imagine that if TV and comics were, like, zipped out of existence tomorrow, every future gainer would become aware of their desire for gaining fetism and growth and size by seeing the amount of fat kids in their class.
they would go, why am I so fascinated with this kid, with these kids? Our modern narratives would make them think, oh, it's homosexuality. But the moment they get online and they start to look at porn, they're going to find gaining fetism. They're going to find BHM, BBW. They're going to find it all. And questions will be answered. And I don't know. I just feel like a character like Templeton really represents something like almost in a weird way, like a promise to, to watchers. It's a little bit like, I'm here as a fun character for everyone who watches. But for those of you in the know, I'm going to be someone very special to you one day. And I think that's kind of cool, like signposting almost. I don't know. I have to assume that the same thing happens for heterosexual people. I just have never asked those questions to heterosexual people. Well, the heterosexuality is so dominant, they don't need to be asked because it's just presumed. They are presented with so many men and women of sexual viability, which is, to be clear, always white, fully able-bodied, slender, masculine, where appropriate, feminine, where appropriate. Like, it doesn't really matter. They just discovered one day, oh, I was watching TV and suddenly I thought differently about these characters, and that's normal for them, because heterosexuality is normal. Whereas, you know, and no shade to Templeton not being human, but some of us are, like, looking at cartoon rats and learning sexuality from that because gaining representation is so minimal and so not presented that we are just finding it wherever we can. Or in my case, it was an anthropomorphic cat because Garfield, like the old Garfield cartoon was one of the first things that triggered me. Yep. No, I love that. Well, even for like, for straight people, I feel like they don't get, like there's not that same kind of dialogue. Like I feel like the gay community is really, we talk a lot about kind of, you know, what are your fetishes and kinks and where do they come from? But if you look at something like, um, oh, Sex in the City, which hasn't really aged very well. Um, but <laughs> it aged like milk. <laughs> it's awful. But that that whole show, even though it, it claims to be so progressive and forward thinking and open about sex, it has a really bizarre view of kink. Whereas if any character is in a kink or engaged in anything like that, that's not just white vanilla, you know, boring stuff everyone looks at them like they're bizarre and like it's this like crazy conversation they have to have it's like why are you in this weird thing and like you know one one episode carrie discovers that the guy she's she's with is into um water sports and it's just like this ultimate deal breaker yeah she's horrified and it's like oh my god and so she she destroys his his political campaign um and breaks up with him just because it's just so gross and like meanwhile everyone that's over because... here is like yeah but that's a normal thing that's because carrie is the worst she's awful yes <laughs> I, yeah we're gonna segue for just a second and i promise i'll make it short carrie yeah. is the worst possible character on that show she's it's the so worst awful. friend she's the worst girlfriend she's the worst everything like carrie bradshaw yeah. is not a character that anybody should be looking up to PSA over sarah jessica parker character right yes yeah well, you know i think we oftentimes promote really negative ideals when it comes to things i mean just look at the concept of cheating a man cheated on you and we see it as appropriate to have someone go absolutely ballistic in response now this is not me to minimize 
uh, the emotional things that cheating can do to someone. I don't take that away at all. But we normalize the idea that your man cheated on you. So what you're going to do is you're going to break his car windows and slash his tires. You're going to shit in his food and slash his throat and murder his family and ruin his life. And I'm just out there like, look, I know it hurt, but like, can't you just take a Percocet? Like, can't, can we not just, can we not do Bikram hot yoga? Can we not go for a walk and get some ice cream and talk? Like, not minimizing the emotional effect. But we are very quick, especially in the heterosexual world, to, like, escalate when we don't like something, especially when it comes to sex. So it yeah. doesn't really surprise me that characters like that have been written because that's how the world sees it. Like, we demonize that which we do not like and do not understand, which, of course, brings us right back to gaining, right back to why we do this podcast, right back to all of these conversations and why we need to have them because... I ain't doing this shit no more. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't holding your hand and walking you through this shit. Like, have a donut or don't. I truly couldn't give a fuck. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. All yeah. of that nice. said, I know we talk about Templeton a lot, and I do think he is the gaining star of the film, in, especially with that scene. But I would argue Wilbur is as well, because in my mind, and hear me out on this, I would argue that Wilbur... Wilbur is the pig, for anyone who hasn't listened or watched, which, again, stop, go watch the film. Uh, Wilbur, the pig, I think he represents, like, the casual gainer. You know, the kind of person who just grows from simple abundance of food available to them. You know, like, the typical non-gainer guy in a couple who's like, well, my wife just makes the food and I just eat it, and mum always told me to, to clean my plate, so, you know, the food's good, the belly is proof of that. Like, that is Wilbur. I think the guy who's just like, I don't see a problem with eating all this. I think Templeton the rat represents the gluttonous gainer, you know, because we've kind of got that idea of like grazer versus glutton, both are valid, but Templeton, you know, with the gluttony and everything, throwing yourself onto the resources all around you, ratty rah. I would want to ask in that comparison, Wilbur and Templeton, who do you align with more and why? That's a good question. I feel like Wilbur speaks to people who maybe don't choose to gain, but just it just kind of happens and they're just kind of comfortable with it because it's never really addressed at all and um, anything like that. But I think I'm definitely the Templeton type. It's the, the, in, the intention behind it, the, the enjoyment of it, kind of the sensual focus of it. Um, it's it, you know, and, and also the, the, the confidence that comes with that, you know, he comes back from the fair and everyone's making fun of him. And in any other story, you would expect that character to like shape up and like, you know, become a good person and lose all the weight kind of thing. But he doesn't. Um, and in the book as well, he just kind of keeps getting fatter and kind of as a reward for helping out um, Wilbur he's sort of allowed to get as fat as he wants and that's kind of his reward and and that's a positive thing um and so i i definitely align more with with uh templeton very much the yeah the 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 hedonistic focus i would love to identify with templeton unfortunately because i'm not one of those gluttonous eaters that i i wish i could be and i'm not necessarily like an unintentional gainer like wilbur i'm probably that smart ass goose 
the, yeah, goose the, one, is that awesome, Ag- the one that Agnes Moorhead voiced. <laughs> yes, the goose is awesome though. I, I I'm definitely a Wilbur. I'm definitely a Wilbur. You know, I think what I find the most endearing and loving about gaining is the kind of softness and indulgence aspect of it. You know, it's like I I love the scene of, you know, someone just gently plying me with more food, you know, and those gentle rubs, the encouragement that says you're being a good pig for eating all that food, so I'm going to reward you with more food. And you don't have to do anything. You have to sit there and eat and get, like, you know, patted and rubbed bellies and tickled and, you know, it's all it's all niceness, you know? But That's, that's also, so wholesome. I love that. But that's also how I like to gain. You know, sometimes I think, and this is no critique of fast gainers or gluttons, but sometimes we lift that up on such a pedestal that we forget that other hoes are here. And, like, I don't necessarily have an instinctive appetite. I don't necessarily have an instinctive capacity. Some guys just gain real easy, and I think that's great. Some of us over here, we got to work at it, and I think it's all valid. So for me, I am the Wilbur. But no, see, I, I, love, I love that. Um, I've got, like, I, I have the, the capacity, but I don't necessarily gain a lot because I try to eat a little more healthy. So it's like the, the desire's there, but I'm not, like, I'm not going to be gaining 100 pounds in a, in a year anytime soon. <laughs> Makes sense. But I want to circle back because you mentioned the book before, and obviously Charlotte's Web is originally a book, but you know you've you've read that. Tell us a little bit about what was your experience like with the book. Did you read it first before the movie? How does it compare? Walk us through it. Well, I read the book first. Um, in fact, I read it so many times that like it fell apart. Um, but the book is is pretty much exactly the same as the movie. Obviously, there's not the extended fair sequence. But um, all the stuff afterwards, when he comes back, that's all still there. Um, there's the description that, like, um, his his stomach is, like, the size of, like, a jelly jar is how it's described in the book. Um, there's also illustrations in the book, so you get to see him getting fatter. Um, and there's a scene near the end when, because, um, like, at the end, he's, he's given, um, like, free access to Wilbur's food forever because he um, kind of helps charlotte's daughters i think um and so because of that that good deed he gets as much food as she want as he wants and so like one of the last illustrations in the book is him and he's like the size of like a beaver um because he's like gotten so fat and he's eaten so much um and um i just um i really appreciated that again that didn't like i liked it but i never understood why i was way too young to understand why i liked it but like the whole book there's descriptions of like with with wilbur he'll there's a part near the beginning where he's sad and so he's given some buttermilk and there's a description of like he liked the feeling of the buttermilk in his stomach and it was comforting or something like that and so i don't know it was just this this concept of like being aware of like the connection between eating and feeling good in a very vague sense but yeah the book's also like a wonderful mm-hmm. classic and it's you know beautifully written and everything but um but yeah there's there's lots of stuff in there that it sowed seeds in my brain or it activated things that were already there in my brain and it took years before they actually started to make sense blossomed into into a f- fruitious plumpus platypus yes. that you're currently uh exhibiting here on the podcast today uh, listeners of course you cannot see but if you head to the social media uh links at the end of this episode you will be able to check them out right there 
Um, I've, I myself have never read the book, but it's interesting you mentioned that sense of um, feeling the way the way the buttermilk felt inside. And this is something that I think I may have mentioned on the podcast before, but I'll I'll, I'll say it here just in case. You know, when it comes to a lot of, for example, uh, modern high tech luxury car designs, right? The interior is designed in a certain way, and apparently it is done so to replicate the way in which you are cradled in the womb. The idea is that the womb is the ultimate, you know, when you are connected and warm and safe and there are no troubles at all in the world and you are just cocooned and everything is lovely. And I wondered to myself, you know, like amniotic fluid withstanding, like I wonder if that reference, buttermilk in the belly, the way that it sloshes, the way that it feels, like when gainers say that there's something sensual about chugging cream, you know, I wonder if there is a maybe uh, uh, a deep-seated psychological throwback to I'm revisiting the most comfortable and safe space that I have existed and occupied. Because genuinely, like, I feel at my most coziest when I have stuffed myself stupid mm-hmm. and topped off with a little bit of a creamy treat. And I'm just laying there, just, like, cradling my belly, just, like, warm against some pillows under the blanket, just like, oh. Yeah, I, I bet Freud would have a field day with that one. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't even want to know what he'd come up with. <laughs> well, he's well I know so much of. Um, I mean, there's obviously lots of discussion about it, but I know a lot of the discussion that I've seen online regarding kinks is, for some of it, is your brain taking something that's scary or confusing, and turning it into something good as a way to protect you from feeling scared or confused by it. And I can see that working in some cases, um, you know, things like Vore or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there's also this sense, I, I feel like there's a couple, there's like a lot of things that are connected to with desire to like feel safe and comfortable again and and to be free of troubles and to kind of return to that you see that in like the pup community i don't i don't have that particular kink but i i know a couple people who do and it seems like it's kind of this this desire to to be free of like responsibilities and anxieties and just be like your happiest self and um, i feel like a lot of the like the stuffing and stuff um, probably is connected to that as well because it, it reminds you of a time when you're you're content and you're full and you're taken care of hmm though so i do want to ask because i know there was a 2006 remake and admittedly i've not seen it have you seen it um i saw that once julia roberts is the voice of charlotte oh. and she's she's kind of okay <laughs> it's once was enough yeah (laughs) it's not something you should watch again no i mean it's it's um it's just it's basically the same thing as the 74 version except um i don't know i I feel like they updated some of the dialogue to be more modern um but beyond that they didn't change too much uh although i have to admit that um as an arachnophobe they made charlotte look a little too realistic and so that made it kind of hard to watch (laughs) Yeah, she's so cute in the in the animated one. Like she's like because she doesn't look like a she doesn't look like a spider in the animated no, one. She looks like no, a she has like this, a like, happy face. She's got she's like a puff ball with legs. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, what is this fascination with modern remakes? And it's like, we need to make this creature look so hyper-realistic that you just cannot divorce it from the truth. Though, I will say this kind of ties into, I think, one of the big questions I want to ask here. Because we, 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 we kind of encountered this when we did the 50 years of Willy Wonka, right? Because mm-hmm. there was, of course, the original in the 70s. The 70s were wilding, kid. Uh, yeah, good times. Then the early to mid-2000s. Again, there was a remake. So something I feel like we maybe touched on a little bit, but we didn't necessarily go in-depth in on, is that the remake really seemed to take a lot of those elements that people have fetishized over the years and just kind of chose not to display them in any kind of effective manner. And I get the sense that Charlotte's Web 2006 was the same. So I want to ask here, do you feel that remakes have a tendency to sterilize these elements that we have found ourselves drawn to in the original films? I can see that. I, I like. I felt like the Charlotte's Web remake was a little soulless. Like it kind of hit all the beats, but it didn't have the same heart that the original animated film did, which really captured the book very well. Um, this kind of sense of like melancholy and um, sadness and accepting change and all that kind of stuff. And like in the original movie, you almost need like Templeton to be really outrageous because the rest of the movie is kind of somber and quiet. And so you need this kind of outrageous, crazy comedy break, you know, song in, in the middle of it um, to kind of, you know, break up the, the heavier themes. And I feel like in, in the remake, they just kind of made everything a little less, um, a little less negative or a little less quote unquote scary or difficult. And so it just, it didn't really work. It, there wasn't that contrast. It was just, Kind of everything was sort of lighthearted and bland. I think that's what happens with most of these remakes, you know, and <clears throat> so much of Hollywood is now like writing is done by focus group. Yeah. You know, so like I'm not surprised that these remakes end up being very hollow because it's just a quick cash grab. It's like, okay, we can't come up with anything new. We can't pay any writers to write anything because, you know, like God forbid we actually pay them what they're worth. So, so let's no. just. Focus group this shit, find something that hasn't been out in 30 years and let's just remake it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think the, like, like Willy Wonka had the same kind of thing. Like I felt like it did follow the book a little closer, but it was so concerned with the aesthetic that it missed the point of kind of the story. And so the scary things weren't really that scary and the triumphant things weren't that triumphant and it all kind of, was distilled into kind of the middle ground where everything is just kind of there. And there was really no point for that remake. I feel like the Charlotte's Web remake did the same thing. I I remember when I reflect on films that like scared me as a kid, but kind of galvanized me, I think it was something like The Page Master. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, you know, it was Macaulay Culkin back- That the- scared you? Well, like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and you know, like- oh. What like what year did it come out? Like ninety six. I was like three. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I was like, thinking of like you know Nemo and Dreamland or. Oh yeah, you um, know, there's very few people who seem to remember that movie, and like I used to watch it all the time. Terrifying. <laughs> or oh, Secret of Dim. Oh yeah, this that one that one is actually genuinely scary. <laughs> Good stuff. But, well, I might have to see if I can get yeah. a copy of that to watch, but. 
it's, just, it's really good. Anyway, sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that's okay. I just wanted to ask one last question to kind of really wrap things up. You know, no doubt they're going to make a remake of this in, what, 20 years at this Maybe set? less than that, honestly, with the way Hollywood's going. Yeah. yeah. So what do you want to see out of a future remake? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would love to see someone like Guillermo del, del Toro do it um, because he's very good at dealing with the dark, difficult subjects. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like Pan's Labyrinth, something like that. Because, no, like, no. The thing Don't about, you worry, though, that he might turn Charlotte into some kind of Cthulhu monstrosity? Yeah, yeah, he might he might go too crazy. Because, oh, like, the thing about Charlotte's Web, the first line of the book is where's papa going with that axe um and so the first line of the book is the the daughter fern noticing that her dad is going to kill the run to the litter um and so the book is all about understanding and accepting death um and it it does it in a very gentle way but it's still very melancholy and sad and if you're going to do a movie remake it needs to it needs to address that 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 concept of like kids not understanding um that the world isn't happy and sparkly and that there's sad things that happen um mm -hmm. and i mean i would love if there was like you know even more gainery stuff of course that's always fun but like just in terms of like you know because I, I genuinely do like the story um i feel like if they're going to do a remake they need to actually like go for like making the movie mean something and have it be a way to talk to kids about difficult subjects kind of like the way inside out um offered a way for parents to talk to kids about depression and and wow. kind of what that was um and i think it did it really well because it didn't shy away from the the really dark kind of bleak hopelessness that comes from from depression um especially in kids who can't understand it um but i think if they're going to do a remake they need to understand what the purpose of the story is um and i don't see that happening unfortunately i i feel like it would just be either really stylized but hollow or it would be bland and it wouldn't do anything yeah so, i agree i don't i don't think that you know i think honestly uh, if they made another remake of it, at some point, somebody is going to come forward and say, well, we can't have Templeton eat a bunch of food and gain a lot of weight because that sets a bad example for the children. Oh, yeah. We don't want to promote obesity. Yeah. I mean, we, we're not even allowed to have a fat Santa anymore, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was completely taken <sighs> out. That makes me sad. Yeah. Or it turns it into like a punishment or something. Though, just to interject here, I do think Guillermo del Toro will do a great job of it. Because if you, has anyone seen his Pinocchio movie yet? Not yet. I haven't yet, but I really want to. I obsess over this film. It is so beautifully done and so macabre. Like, he, like, in, in my opinion, and I will put this out there, Tim Burton talks the talk. Guillermo del Toro walks the walk. Oh, yeah. Like, his stuff actually makes me take a step back and go, there is beauty in this, like, insanity. Like, Pan's Labyrinth, I could watch on repeat because it's horrific, but yet I am entranced and infixed. And I feel like with something like Pinocchio, it takes certain notions and it reframes them. And so you kind of take a step back and go, ah, oh, there's actually a little more to this subject matter mm -hmm. here. And you get more out of every character not just pinocchio and not just jiminy cricket 
And I feel the same could be done with something like Charlotte's Web. You could really get something out of every character. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like the the gainery aspects of the 1970 film is kind of a like a, like not an accident but like a flash in the pan thing that probably won't happen again um because i know paul lind was the voice actor for for templeton in that one mm-hmm. and there's a lot of his kind of particular style of comedy in the character and like I think initially they intended it to be like, oh well, let's let's have a character get drunk and laugh at them. You, you see the same thing in um, in Dumbo with the pink elephants on parade sequence. It's like, oh haha, you know, this this character got got drunk, and um, we're kind of laughing at them for it. But I like, it was kind of one of the things that was accidentally sexual, <laughs> and um, I don't see them ever intentionally doing anything like that again. Which is probably for the best, I guess. But not unless a really sneaky writer manages to somehow get the innuendo past a, a producer. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I I don't trust the studios to, to not sanitize it too much, though. Sadly. Hmm. <laughs> well, look. One last question here for you, Josh. Do you feel like there are any aspects of Templeton, Wilbur, or Charlotte's Web that we haven't really touched on today? Um, not really. My favorite thing about the character is that in the end, he's allowed to still be fat and it's not ever seen as a bad thing, which I think is so great. And, um, and it shows that he, he's still kind of seen as a hero because he's the one who kind of saves Charlotte's egg sack, I think. Um, and so it's like, we need more positivity like that. And it's, it's difficult to show either they're going to have stuff that's like oh well this character's fat but they're doing good things despite being fat or it's it's going to be kind of like patronizing and i i really really love the fact that we in this in like the original movie we've got this character who's just he likes being fat and he enjoys it and he's kind of allowed to be himself even if he's kind of like a slob and and kind of crass but that's okay because that's him and and he kind of fits into the world of the farm along with all the other animals. And I really like that. Well, there you go. And perhaps, dear listener, if you yourself are not a gainer, feedy, or member of the community and you don't really know what the fuck we're on about, tune in to Charlotte's Web, the OG, and take a good look at what Templeton's doing. And if it causes any stirrings, then maybe you should take notice of that and get yourself a little something to eat. But, Josh... Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can listeners find you online? Um, so mostly I'm on Instagram. I'm Comfy Gut. Um, I am on Grammar as well. Comfy Gut. I'm not on there as much as before, but mostly Instagram. So yeah, that's where I live most of my days. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap for now here on Thick Radio. Please remember to like and subscribe, rate us five stars, and leave us a good review. We don't have nearly enough reviews, people. Please write them, submit them, love on us. We deserve it. Now, if you liked this special episode, the podcast, or just us in general, share it with your friends and encourage them to tune in. You can find me on Instagram and beefyfrat at stanham. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Beefy Frat at Thicky Mouse. You can also look us up on TikTok at Thick Radio or at our website at www.podpage.com 
forward slash thick radio. If you want to submit a voice note, you can reach us at anchor.fm forward slash thick radio forward slash message. And if you have any questions or ideas for episodes, you can reach us at thethickradio at gmail.com. So until next time, bye fats. Bye fats. Bye fats. Let's talk about it. Thick Radio is a Patreon and Anchor app podcast produced by Stan and Vicky Nuss. Next and Master by Stan. Our artwork is provided by Lukitu. Our theme song is provided by Spotify Creative.